Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey friends, it's the No Water Methodist Podcast. You have joined or clicked on right now, and you're going to listen to what we have to offer, and I hope you really enjoy it. Uh, this should be coming out a little bit earlier than usual this week. TJ's going to a uh, wedding, and he's the guy who edits this, so he decided he was willing to do this before he left town. So um, anyway, uh, pray for TJ while he's on the road, and um, continue to pray for the church. We're just really happy to be able to offer our content in a lot of different ways, and we do have a live stream of the service on Facebook and YouTube that uh, please consider joining us if uh, if you can, um, when you can. I'm saying um a lot, excuse me. The uh, message that presented today was, I mostly worked on the Isaiah passage that talks about, for the sake of Zion, I will not keep silent. And so the importance of speaking truth and the importance of words is really what we talked about. Excuse my kids playing in the background. And then, you know, from that, talking about the power of God, God's Holy Spirit, and then um, what it means to lean on Jesus and trust in Him in our ways. And so this is, you know, I I try not to make myself the center of the gospel proclamation uh, for what I hope are obvious reasons, but today I did introspect on myself a bit personally and then upon the mission context here in Nowata in Delaware, and... um, hopefully encouraged people to make some decisions to be more active and engaged um, civically and with their neighbors because the whole point of this faith is to offer it and to stand against the forces of darkness and lies. We also uh, have produced some stuff recently on reclaiming Christian words, and I don't know which ones have have been put on here yet or not, but one word is um, worship and one is church. And uh, of course, I'm I'm going to urge you, if, if we don't include it on this, just go to our YouTube page and find those uh, videos promoted. My, my hope is that with more of a shared understanding about these things, people getting a little less subjective and selfishly interested, that we can have more unity in the church and some people who are a little less about their own opinions and a little more about uh, the truth we know in God. So anyway, uh, that's a lot of things in no particular order. I really hope this is a blessing to you. I hope you really enjoy your time meditating on these texts with me, and I would just invite you as a response to to pray for the churches I serve, pray for me personally. I really uh, never want to be one who, who uh, stands between somebody and Jesus or is in any way um, not living out the gospel message. Uh, but also I just want to urge you, uh, the whole point of why I do this and the whole reason the church is here is to transform lives. So... Let God's word speak to you and then respond in faith. All right, I'm going to stop talking now. Really, I hope you enjoy this time. God bless you. I don't think I need to do any prep for today's first reading, but let's just be in a prayerful spirit as we welcome our first reader forward to share with us part of the prophecy of Isaiah. Reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. When you can which you can find on page 1160 of your pew Bible. Listen to the word of God. 
For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain silent. Feel her vindication shines out like the down, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see you, your vindication, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor and in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepaziba and you will and the land of Beulah by the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married as a young man marries a young woman. So will your builder marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls of Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. He says, let's remind ourselves, what is Zion? Clayton. The kingdom of God, yeah. When Christians are talking about the kingdom of God, we often imagine Zion, the holy hill of God. Uh, corresponds usually with Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem is the, the earthly form of the heavenly city, Zion. Um, Isaiah is a prophet who stands at a point in history. He stands before Israel, Judea falls, and as well after. And he's prophesying afterwards in this portion. What's happened is um, they were faithless in their covenant with God. God allowed the Babylonians to come and and defeat them in battle, and a lot of Judeans, especially those in Jerusalem, were flung out to the far reaches of the Babylonian Empire. And uh, they've seen God's city wasted, his temple um, pillaged and burned down. Um, they've seen a lot of bad things. And the temptation, whenever you've seen things fall apart, is to just believe that nothing can be done and it's gone forever. And sometimes that's true. The Roman Empire fell apart and was never reconstituted. You know, there were other empires that, that uh, fell in its place. I remember I was talking with a family member a few weeks ago and I was talking about, you know, I get really concerned about the long-term implications of some of the things that our country is doing. And uh, this family member had a real defeatist outlook. They said, look, empires rise and fall and maybe it's just time for America to, uh, to fall. Maybe it's time for someone else to rise up in our place. And I just said, I'm sorry, I just can't sign on for that. If, if, if America fell tomorrow, do you imagine the millions and billions of people that would suffer who depend on us for stability? You know, I can't be deterministic and defeatist about things going into decline. I, you know, I know that in some ways we deserve it, and I know in some ways we've already uh, signed that check and we just need to cash it in, but in other ways, our God is merciful and it's not over till it's over. I don't think there's anything written that says America has to decline. And I was preaching in Delaware this morning. Delaware, I don't know if you know, heard about it. They had a shootout in town this last week between two guys in the middle of the street in daylight. Guns fired. And this is after decades of things falling apart in that town and nobody with any money. The drugs are, you, you think it's bad in Nowata. 
Delaware, you drive up and down the streets and you go, how can people live here? People wander around at night and just steal stuff from each other. It's just part of the way of life there, you know. I put out my air conditioning unit over here thinking that somebody would steal it. No, I had to actually do something about it. I wanted to get rid of it. Over in Delaware, you leave something unattended for 10, I'm exaggerating, but unattended for a bit and it's going to disappear. A lot of times your friends and your family members are the ones stealing from you. And I'm over there, you know, it's, it's a mission context over there. Over here, it's kind of like a post-Christian, okay, people need to be reminded. Up in Delaware, other than the people inside our churches, people don't even know Jesus. They don't know what he's about. They don't know how to live a righteous and holy life. I am engaged just on the ground floor of proclaiming God and his holiness to people who don't know any other way. So you guys come and worship over there with me sometime. We need help ministering to that town, but I'm, I'm preaching to them going, just because Delaware has come this far down does not mean that things can't get better. You know, we get real defeatist and deterministic about things. We want to believe, oh, there's nothing to be done. It's just falling apart, and now, you know, we're going to have to look towards somewhere else. And I, I don't know about you. I believe in free will. I do. I don't worship free will. I worship the Lord. But I believe we get to determine whether or not this is going to be a wastelander in a few years, you know. And when I say this, I mean Noada too. Noada used to be a different place than it is today, didn't it? Y'all who've been around for a while, you've seen better days in this town. Now, there's been some cool stuff happening in the last couple of years where we want to get optimistic. But you find plenty of people who, well, <laughs> I'm going to guilt trip some of you. Are you ready? I know a lot of people who go and shop in Bartlesville for things that they could get in Noada. They've just kind of given up on this town. They don't, they don't want this town or this county to have the, the tax dollars. They would much rather just go support a county that's doing better. Did that hurt? It was meant to. Love the city you're in. Love the place you live. And make sure that people benefit around you from you being with them. You know, and I get that there's things that, that are in Bartlesville that you can't get here. Sometimes, you know, that means you get what you can here and go there. Sometimes that means you just go without, okay? I moved to Oklahoma knowing I was never going to have sushi. I would trust again. Boo-hoo, you know. I know they have sushi one in Bartlesville. I don't trust it, okay? It's inland too far. I don't trust it. Now, there's some things that you're just not going to get just right and live, unless you live in the right place. There are costs that come with living in Noada, no Oklahoma, and that's okay. Whoever told you that you should be able to have it all was lying to you. But we should love where we're at, and we should be participating in things turning around for the better. We should be engaged in our local economy and our local society. We should be active civilians. We should be knowing our neighbors, building them up. And we should be contributing to a future that is bright for everybody, not just our church. Although, yes, put our church first. I, I'm going to tell you, put your church first, but that doesn't mean that we block out the rest of the town. Here what Isaiah is doing is he is prophesying that this wasteland is going to become a rich and vibrant place once again. He says, you are currently called deserted and desolate, but God is going to rename you Hephzibah and Beulah. Uh, Beulah means beautiful. I'm forgetting what Hephzibah means. I think it's one whom God adores. It's something like that. It's a good thing. He's saying he's going to change the nature of this place. It's down in the dumps. It's destroyed. God is going to resurrect it. Now, God fulfilled this prophecy. They were allowed to come back and rebuild Jerusalem, its walls, its temples, and it was a grand place once again. They only did that. They only came home. They only, you know, they lived in Babylon for 70 years. 
built new lives there, built up their families in places hundreds if not thousands of miles away. When it came time, they put down their lives and they came back and they rebuilt and Jerusalem was every bit as beautiful as it had ever been. They only did that because they were anticipating it. If they hadn't thought it was possible, they wouldn't have come back. And if you and I don't believe that there can be a, 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 a bright days in the future, we're not gonna work for those bright days. And I'm talking about no water, I'm talking about our personal lives. If you don't think your life can get any better, you're not going to work for things to get any better. You're just going to sit in the dumps of your life and go, mm, you know, how was the Eeyore talked? Oh, it's just miserable. This is the only way it's ever going to be. And you don't find people that say it flat out like that, but you find people that are living pretty miserable and they're not doing anything about it because deep down they believe they can't change, that their lives are not going to change. That's just the way it's always going to be. And of course, we're dealing with depression as a nation. Of course, we have an epidemic of depression right now. It's because people feel powerless in their lives. That is a recipe for depression. When you think that there's nothing you can do and everything's just going to be terrible and we're living in the worst time. I've been listening to this podcast on Jim Jones and his cult that he started. And it's so much history that the guy just takes a lot of time to explain the 1960s. Y'all who lived through the 1960s, that was a crazy time. And I look at all the things going on back then, things that we would not put up with in our society now. And I talk to people who lived through it and they go, yeah, but today's worse. And I'm going, how? I mean, I know things are bad, but man, they had people openly declaring war on the police. They had the Black Panthers just getting in cars to go out and shoot police. They had Weather Underground going out to bomb people. They had people praising the Manson killings. They had people wishing death to America based on what we were doing in Vietnam. It was a horrible, crazy time. We're not, we're not. I mean, we're having a horrible, crazy time now, but people look at these things, they talk about these things like we're just doomed and there's nothing to be done about it. And I just couldn't disagree more. Each of us has a role to play. And that's why I think it begins in the very beginning of this reading. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. When you love somebody, you don't stay silent when they're not well. If you love someone who's falling into addiction, you don't go, well, I guess you know what's best for you. You say, brother, I want you to get free of this. When you love somebody who's cheating on her husband, you say, we've got to stop this right now. You have to repent. And when you live in a society that is slowly committing suicide, you don't stay silent. You speak truth and love to those who don't know it. Here at the end of this prophecy, is talking for God. He says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. Jerusalem here is destroyed. It's a metaphor. The watchmen are the prophets. You and I have received the same Holy Spirit that animated the prophets, that gave them what they needed. You and I have been put in a position to speak prophetic truth to people. And for Zion's sake, for Noah's sake, for America's sake, I will not stay silent. I read that book that I told y'all about a while back by Rob, Rod Dreher, it's called Live Not By Lies. The whole book is about what communism does whenever it becomes a totalitarian regime in different countries. Totalitarian means it can't stand to have any other powers influencing people. So it hates the state because the state influences people. So it destroys the state. It hates the family because the family gives people meaning and purpose outside of the state. It destroys everything outside of the state. 
In these totalitarian nations, what is created is a huge propaganda wing where propaganda sources intentionally lie to the people, say things that everybody knows are a lie, and dares people to say anything about it other than that's the truth. It's completely based on people saying nothing whenever lies are being spoken as truth. And if you can get people to be silent in the face of lies, then you can so demoralize them that they don't ever stand up for what's right because they think nobody's with them, because they think there's no such thing as truth. In order to maintain freedom, people have to speak truth, even when it means that they're going to get persecuted for it. And so the whole title of Roger Ayer's book is Live Not By Lies. It's an Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote. He, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. He, he wrote about how uh, Russia fell into to communism. And he, he talked about how at the front, middle, and end of everything was lies that people had to give in to. And he said, live not by lies. Don't give in to it. A modern-day thinker, Jordan Peterson, I saw a quote from him the other day. He says, to be silent when you have truth to say is to lie. To be silent when you know the truth is a lie. We like to imagine that in, in a lot of circumstances, I might know the truth, but I can be silent here because, oh, you know, they're not listening anyway, or, oh, it's not going to do any good, or, you know, I, I'm not sure I know enough about this topic. If you know the truth, and if you know someone is telling lies, if you remain silent, that compromises your spirit. Now, a lot of people, they'll, they'll, there's another quote people like, "'Tis better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt." That's a good one, right? But that only applies when you don't know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, please remain silent. Please, you're not helping whenever you're just spouting off your own ill-informed opinion. But if you know what you're talking about, and other people are getting their way who don't, God help us all. God help us all. There are a lot of people who just, they're so uncomfortable. They hate having any conflict. They don't want to speak up. So they just go, well, if that's the case, then I don't want to know anything. So I don't have to speak up. They hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil, whatever. That is no way to go through life. We have been told the truth. We've been told everything that we need to know. We know what's right and wrong, what's up and down, what's light and dark. And to go through life pretending we don't is ridiculous. And it's demoralizing and it's depressing once again. Of course everybody's depressed when we can't speak about meaningful things for fear that someone's going to take it wrong. Of course we're depressed when we can't share in the most meaningful parts of life because others just want to operate on a surface level. Life is meant to be lived and engaged well. Life is short. And one day it's over. And at the end, do we want our days to have been occupied with doing things and saying things that really didn't matter? And hundreds and thousands of moments when we... We're silent and we should have spoken up. Isaiah says flat out for Zion's sake, I will not be silent. I will not be silent. People took offense to Isaiah. They hated that guy. There are people who wanted him dead. And none of us wants to lead a life like that. None of us wants that. You might think I like that. I do not like people not liking me. But what I hate more is imagining getting to God's judgment seat and him saying, Jeffrey, you had everything you needed to minister to those people and you were quiet because you were afraid of them. I don't imagine that he's going to grant me entry to his kingdom if I am too weak and scared and petty to speak up the truth now that I know. 
And it's the same for you. It's the same for me. It's the same for all of us. Because the thing is, even if we're not fighting for the earthly Zion or Jerusalem, there are things at stake every day that matter. There are people's lives at stake that matter. And they need to believe that life is worth living and that there's such a thing as truth and purpose and meaning. And that's how we're called to live in the world. For people who have that itch, we know how to scratch it. But if we don't talk, if we just keep to ourselves, if we are afraid of offending other people, then everything's going to continue to fall, fall apart around us. We're going to continue to see dysfunctional households with abused children. We're going to continue to see uh, disloyal uh, partners giving up on contracts, whether it's in the family or in business. We're going to continue to see people give up on their town and gladly send their wealth to other places. And I, for one, I'm not okay with that. We need to continually, intentionally, sometimes provocatively, continue to speak truth and live with integrity. I, I could be done preaching for the day. That's my main sermon today. We're going to talk about the other text, but that's the main thing I want everybody going home. Our psalm today is Psalm 36. It's on page 771 of your hymnal. The sung response sounds like this. I desire to follow your way, O Lord my God. Continue your steadfast love. Love. Sorry. Love to me. Let's sing that together uh, twice and then we'll read. I know I don't sing that low. It's fine. Y'all are so mean to me. All right, let's sing. <clears throat> I desire to follow your way, O Lord my God, continue your steadfast love to me. One more time. I desire to follow your way, O Lord my God, continue your steadfast love to me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. O God, how precious is your steadfast love. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. I desire to follow your way, O Lord my God, continue your steadfast love to me. I'm going to try not to preach too long on any of the other um, things that we talk about today, but 
the thing I realize as I read this, you know, it talks about God in very different terms than I personally identify with. And this is one of those sermons where some sermons I give, it is kind of like, hey, I've really found God to be great. And these are the ways that I live it out in my life. And I would have you be like me because it's a great blessing to me. Other sermons I give, I'm going, I really have a lot of work to do in this department and I am not strong here and I feel very bad about it and I would hate for you to have the same shame that I carry about it. This is one of those passages where I carry shame because the terms on which it talks about God talks about, um, let's just look at verse 7. Oh God, how precious is your steadfast love. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is a fountain of life. In your light do we see light. When we're talking about, come thou fount of every blessing, which we just sang, when we're talking about how God is a fountain of life, I have to be honest and say, my relationship with God is not associated with a fountain nearly as much as like a trickling stream. It is not bursting forth into me. I am not, you know, there's some people, I remember reading that book about uh, Christians being persecuted by communists, you wouldn't believe how badly they were treated. They were arrested and put in these torturous conditions for years on end, dehumanizing, debilitating. They were taken from their families, their, fellow, their families fell apart without them. To be honest with you, well, the, the, the latter part of that is people who made it through that time reflect on that as being a time when they were closer to the Lord than they were ever before, people going through persecution. And when you read modern day accounts of people being persecuted in North Korea or Nigeria or China, it's not fun. They don't enjoy it. They don't wish it upon themselves. But when they go through it, a great testimony is that they feel closer to Christ than they ever have. And they find that Christ is a fount of every blessing, that he is a fountain of life. And I read their accounts and go, oh, my God, I don't think I have that, that faith that they have. If people show up at my doorstep to arrest me and all of a sudden my wife and my kids are going to be without me, I, I don't know how confident. I, I would like to think that just based on integrity, I would say, do your worst, you know, take me, you know, I, my faith is in God and not in, in man. I would like to think that I will be that man. I'm preparing myself every day to be that man. But the reality is on a daily basis, I am not leaning on the Lord like I should. I am not finding him powerful to save because I'm not looking to him for that. I depend on myself, my own wits, my own financial resources, my own intelligence, my own relationships. I lean on these things every day. I worship God every day. I read his scriptures every day. I pray every day. But I don't lean on him the way I should. He's not a, a fountain of life bubbling into me. He is not pouring his spirit into me. I'm not over, overflowing every day. And I carry great shame about that because the scriptures are clear and history is clear. That's the God I serve. That's how powerful he is. That's how good he is. He is not that good just for me. For all people, it says, all people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And yet I don't ever let him do that. Because I feel like I'm doing just fine on my own. God help me for my rebelliousness. Y'all pray for your pastor, but also as you do so, pray for yourself. Because a lot of us, we don't know the Lord on those terms either. And forgive me for speaking for you, but I've had a lot of talks about religion while I've been here. And most of us consider Jesus to be some kind of distant friend that we know will be there for us in a pinch. As Corey Ten Boom said, a lot of people, Jesus is more like a, a spare tire than the steering wheel. But we know it should be that Jesus is the steering wheel. So hold that light up to your life. 
And uh, those of you who are further along this path than I am, who've learned to lean upon the Lord better than me, I need you to minister to me. I need your example, I need your encouragement, and I need you to shame me every now and again. Shame is a great motivator. I respond very well to shame. People worry about coaches yelling at kids. I, I had a coach in sixth grade. He, yelled, he never said anything to me that wasn't in an angry yell, and I responded so well to that. I just loved that. I knew exactly what he wanted from me, and I knew when he was pleased because he wasn't yelling at me. And uh, so sometimes, you know, don't be afraid of being mean to me. If it's what I need to hear, tell me. Just don't call me names if you can help it. Let's move on. Let's, uh, let's go to our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and then the ways that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are lived out in the local church. So I'd welcome that reader to come forward. Our third reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, which you can find on the page 1783 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed that you, when you were pagans, somehow or others you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of services, but the same Lord, there are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one that manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the Spirit, of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another miscellaneous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kind of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All those are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is the, this is the word of the Lord. Um, just this reading that we just did, a lot of people would hear it, and I, I was pretty strongly pushing y'all after the first reading to speak where you, where you don't want to, right? To speak up in situations where lies. So there are a lot of people who read this portion that we just had and go, well, hey, there's different, there's different gifts for different people. My gift is not speaking, so I don't have to speak. And I would say that that's akin to some people... Um, saying, you know, there's different gifts within the church, and um, my gift is not not stealing, so I can steal. It's someone else's gift not to steal, you know. And, you know, other people, they're given that spiritual gift of not cheating on their wife, but that's not me, so I'm going to have to cheat on my wife, you know. It's, it's ridiculous. There, if you are a believer, 
There are some things you do do. There are some things you don't do. And it's not, here's my special role as a Christian. Like, there, if you are a Christian, some of us do all the same things. Some of us avoid all the same things. There's not a version of a Christian that gets to, to run around and party all weekend doing drugs. You know, that's, it's not like everybody else has been given this spe- spiritual gift of restraint and they haven't. It's just they don't love the Lord enough to control themselves. That's, that's the truth of the matter. So likewise for us, one of the things that's just basic is we have to speak truth when we know it. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We have received the word. Christ Jesus, he became flesh. We have received the words of life. Uh, Jesus gave the words of life. They're recorded. Far be it from us to act as though we don't know the word. Now, there is room still, though, for variation. We're different people. We have different personalities, but also the Holy Spirit, who is one. There's only one Holy Spirit. He gives different gifts to different ones of us. And I'll tell you, I know I just said I don't feel like I've got the river of life flowing out of me all the time. But I'm pretty sure I know what my spiritual gift is. And it's one of those listed here. It's discernment of the spirits. I became aware. I was The way I grew up, there is no evil powers. There's no angelic powers. There is no demonic powers. There's just God in heaven and that's it. That's the only thing on the other end of the spiritual realm. I've come to realize, no, that the spiritual realm is every bit as big as ours. And there are all kinds of beings on the other side. And there are all kinds of spiritual beings that seek to influence you and me as we go about our lives. There are many that seek to enter into this place and corrupt the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has given me the discernment to know which spirits are of God and which spirits are not. And you don't see me throw my weight around about it or brag about it. But as we go through that list, I wonder what your mind goes through as you look at these different gifts that that it lists off. Do you feel like the Holy Spirit has poured gifts into your life that that he's equipped you for things or... How many of us just look at this and go, oh, this is some Pentecostal stuff. This is some charismatic, crazy Christian stuff. I don't know about this. But I'll tell you, it's not written down for crazy Christians. It's written down for all Christians. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is equipping us for the work of ministry together. And he gives different ones of us different gifts. There are a lot of churches where you'll find a lot of conflict, though, and people will say, well, this is my spiritual gift. And if that upsets you, then that's your problem. There are a lot of people who, in the name of Christ or in the name of the Holy Spirit, cause divisions within the body. And sometimes division can be a holy thing. Sometimes you have to separate the sheep from the goats or the the wheat from the chaff. Sometimes there are bad people in the church that do not love the Lord and they need to get going. And the only way that's going to happen is through division. How do we know if the differences in our church are from the Holy Spirit or if there's something evil? Is there any way that we could be certain or is it just who knows? Is there any litmus test that we have been given to discern the things that God wants us to divide over and the things he doesn't? I would say this right here. If this spends time and energy on something, then odds are it's important. If it doesn't, then odds are we need to find a way to live together. You know, it doesn't speak about whether or not we should baptize infants. It just doesn't. So I'm not willing to to split from another believer based on their stance of believer baptism versus infant baptism. I'm just not. It talks about baptism. It's just not explicit about kids. Likewise, it talks about the Holy Spirit, and it does talk about speaking in tongues. But I'm not willing to split in the church over whether or not every every single person needs to speak in tongues. There are some churches where you're not a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. I think that is an unnecessary thing to divide over. 
I do get worried about churches that say no one should speak in tongues. That's kind of weird. But there are things that, that clearly we shouldn't divide over. Should we divide over what color the carpet's going to be? Clayton's the only one saying no. Some people are going, yeah, I'd like to have that fight. <laughs> Let's have gold carpet. We're, that's not worth fighting about. There, there are all kinds of things in the church. You know, you'll often find the place that people argue most around is the kitchen. Because that's where everybody thinks their spiritual gift is. I might not have these, but I can cook, you know. Or the nursery. I might have all these special gifts, but I can care for kids. And then somebody else does it different than me. And, ooh, we're at loggerheads. That is not a worthy spiritual battle. There are people who do things different in the church, and we just have to get over it. You know, sometimes the most loving thing you can tell someone is, I think you need to get over it. You know, that's one of the number one things we don't say to each other anymore. We need to say that more. You need to get over that. Julia didn't like that. <laughs> I never know what people are going to respond to. But sometimes that's, you know, Sarah Beth has to say it to me every now and again. I'm not sure that's a big deal, Jeffrey. She doesn't say it out loud. Her eyes say it. Let's, let's move on. I just wanted, I wanted people to feel that call to, to help the Holy Spirit help you discern a path forward and serve proudly in your capacity. But also we have to maintain an atmosphere of grace in the church. This church is so blessed to have people that are not mean to each other, that don't bite each other's heads off and get nasty, and I want to keep it that way. So let the gifts come out, but not at the expense of our unity. Okay, and I realize that's hard, but let's do it. Okay, our final reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 2 which you can find, uh, verses 1 through 11, which you can find on page 1649 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been inviting to the, invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. This um, is not a sermon. Uh, don't ever trust a sermon where people are going, hey, it's okay to get wasted because Jesus helped people get wasted here. That is not the sermon here. It's also, um, it's really a stretch to say that this was non-alcoholic wine. I know there are some old Baptists and Methodists that like to preach that, but I think that would, I think the Bible would tell us that, you know. I think the reality is that the Bible is not as obsessed with wine as with alcohol as, as a lot of people are. And we need to not be obsessed about it either. There are some of us who really, alcohol just can't be managed at all, and please stay away from it. There are other people who can use it in good and balance, and please keep it in balance. That's how Paul speaks to Timothy about it. But if you cannot keep it in balance, 
if you're getting wasted, you really shouldn't be drinking alcohol. You shouldn't, and there's not, there is, there is, there is scripture to that effect. So, but that's not, that's neither here nor there with this story. That's not the point of this story. We get hung up on that stuff. We don't look at the story. Story is they're at a, a wedding. They ran out of wine. It's a time of ceremonial celebration. Mary calls on Jesus. Jesus turns water into wine. And it's not just cruddy good wine that, or cruddy bad wine. It's like high quality wine. It's good stuff. What, what's the spiritual message here? And here's the thing that I, I, I think I want to tie this all up today. I've told you how we need to speak truth in a, a setting of lies and how God needs to be pouring his Holy Spirit into us and we need to be open to him. But the reality is that a lot of us have a scarcity mindset where we're worried about running out of stuff. So instead of being faithful that God will provide, we just try and spread it out as much as possible. You know, we just try and, and make it last. And then there's a, in Lord of the Rings, there's a, a description Frodo has of himself whenever he's lost the ring and he's getting old and he just feels miserable all the time. He says, I feel like butter spread over too much bread. And if you've ever had that happen, you don't have enough butter and you just... You, you try and spread it out over the bread and you're just miserable because every bite is just not as good as it should be, right? And that's how a lot of people are with their life. They're not about quality of life. They're about quantity of life. Just staying alive as long and as hard as possible and holding on with bare, white-fisted and, and just making it all fit as much as they can. And they don't realize life is about quantity, quality of life, not quantity. And that we're looking, when we're looking at a quality life, we're looking at a life lived in, through, and for Jesus, and we have to believe that Jesus is going to provide for us even if the material resources aren't there. Once again, this is a sermon where I'm convicting myself. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with making sure that everything lines up and we've got our bases covered. But Jesus makes fun of the guy who is building all these towers and building up his estate. And he says, you, you're, you're building up all these things. You don't realize your life will be demanded of you tonight. We all take for granted that we've got all this time but we don't. We've just got today. And we have to make a decision. Am I going to count on the Lord to provide or am I going to count on myself to provide? And the people who answer those questions differently live very different lives. And I realize that. I realize there are a lot of people who lean on faith and they look at my life and they go, man, this guy doesn't trust in Jesus at all. God help me. I need to trust in Jesus more. 